This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. A few episodes back, I had on Dr. Dan Singley, a man who is a psychotherapist and a researcher and the rising president of the masculinity section of the APA. Anyway, he's a high-functioning dude and has studied masculinity and fatherhood as his profession for his whole career. And he said one thing that I want to repeat right now, and that is that the studies show that a dad's job is actually quite simple. The first part is to see that needs are met, food and clothing and shelter. So basically to see that the financial needs can provide for the family the, the a basic level, right? An adequate level of what is needed to be okay. Then the next job after that, the most important thing a dad can do is to be the best version of himself. End stop. End of story. Those two elements are the core of what the research has shown that dads need to do. So a lot of my work and maybe a lot of this podcast, we focus on that second part. We zoom past that first one and we just sort of assume that everyone has the career, the finances, the organization, everything you need to be secure and okay. And then we spend all of our time diving in, wrestling our demons, learning new tricks, all of the things that we do and attempt to do to be healthy, to be wise, to be all of the things. Today, we're going to slow it down. We're going to rewind a little bit. And we're going to talk about that first part. We're going to not rush past the hard truth of financial reality as a father, as a parent, as a human. And we're not going to rush off to that other stuff that seems to catch our attention and keep it. Jen Meyer is my guest on this episode. And she is a financial counselor, a former doula, and literally just one of the most, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? She's just so lovely and intelligent and creative and smart. She's just this incredible combination of grit and smarts and care. She owns and runs a few companies. One is called Baby Caravan. It's a doula collective that matches families with doulas in the New York City area. And she also runs Fully Funded. And Fully Funded is a financial counseling platform where she and her other associates work to educate and inform and support mostly families and a lot of times self-employed folks with their own finances. And as I said in my sort of gushing intro there about her, I've worked with Jen personally around my finances and was deeply, deeply helped by her and her services. And today in this conversation, we just get into some of the basics, like the first just basic, basic, basic level 
of family family finance and savings and, and what we need to do. And then we veer the conversation into territory that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about these days, which is how do we plan for the future right now? How do we best plan financially and uh, socially and emotionally, all of the different things for a future that's looming pretty large in front of us? So I wish a little bit would have wished we would have got into that second topic much earlier. I would love to go deeper with Jen, but I have a feeling there's going to be a second podcast with her coming in the not too distant future. The last thing I'll say about Jen and and this interview before I kind of move on is that I really, really value Jen's perspective here. And, you know, I've, my wife and I have done lots of reading and looking and learning from different types of folks about finances. And there's a lot of styles out there. Let's just say it that way. And Jen has a to me, a very healthy and generative and future-oriented approach that is both feminine and masculine and is really just deeply, deeply balanced. So I'm excited to share this with you. A quick note on The Father's Fire before we go to the interview. The Father's Fire is a dad's group. It's an online men's group for fathers. We meet weekly. We launched not too long ago, and we are growing. We have a large backlist Uh, waitlist already, but we are going to continue that growth. So if you are interested, we have a waitlist on our website, dandoty.com, Father's Fire. Check it out. Uh, Pretty soon we're going to migrate to fatherhoodunlock.com. Just wait for that. The the website change is going to come soon. But for now, go to dandoty.com, Father's Fire, and click on the waitlist. This is a uh, just a quick word about Father's Fire. It is taking all of my backlog of knowledge and experience in men's groups and applying it to this really critical job of being a dad. And we are both creating a, a, a large-scale community, not huge, but a, a meaningfully-sized community uh, so you can have access to dads of all types from all places with all walks of life who have immense amounts of experience. We're crowdsourcing our ability to be good dads. That's part of what we're doing. The other part of what we're doing is everybody who joins gets put in a small home group of six men with one trained facilitator, and you get to have the benefits of a very, very dedicated, full-on, committed, long-term men's group, which is just absolutely, undoubtedly one of the most helpful things uh, I've ever come across, and I'm just excited to share this, this offering with you and with the world. So we'll be bringing more men in, I believe, in September, so you can get on the wait list now. All right, enough jabbering. Let's do some more jabbering. Here is Jen Mayer from Fully Funded. Good morning, Jen. How are you and welcome? Hi, Dan. So good. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this chat. Uh, I am. I just totally flubbed up the technology for this chat, so um, I, I, uh, I'm just getting my shit together, I guess, just to be honest and transparent where this is starting. Um, I am so excited to have you here. Uh, for everybody's benefit, Jen and I spent what about six months? Do we spend six months? About in nine that? months. Nine months in a business accelerator program a couple of years ago, and uh, so this is a bit of a reunion, actually. Yeah. So that's. That's nice. Um, all right. Well, Jen, I want to harvest as much alive uh, wisdom that we can in this time. And I'll have interest introduced you here so we don't need to know all. But uh, I am 
curious here. I'm just going to first just like lay out a bunch of things I'm curious about. And then, and then we'll pull back and slow down and, and, and uh, hear a little bit more about your time as a doula and how that led into your work as a financial planner and advisor. So um, I am curious about, I am curious about the doula time and the years and the impact that had on you. Uh, I am curious about the, you know, your financial story in, in a sense and in what led you, um, you know, to do and focus on what you, what you do now and what you focus on now. And, you know, I know enough of your story to have my own story get pulled right to the forefront, right? So this is just to say it, this is a really live topic in conversation, you know, for me, myself and in my household, the conversation of finances and family and planning, um, particularly as a business owner, you know, a fairly non-traditional household in many ways. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, I think those are curiosity points that are just going to open up a, a wide range of, of, you know, places for us to go. So yeah, tell us, tell me, tell us about, um, yeah, how you started this whole thing and, and got into the doula work. To start yeah. With. So hi, everyone. My name is Jen Meyer. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York. I have two kids. They're eight and four. And I became a doula rather young. I had like a non-traditional like college experience right after high school. I went right to community college. And I bring this up because it, it's kind of like part of my financial story as well. I went to community college because I wanted to be a massage therapist mm. and there was one, there was a two-year program at the local community college and my parents had told me they couldn't help pay for college. So I knew I was on my own and staring down like buckets of debt for college just was very daunting to me as like a 16, 17 year old. So I was like, I can go to community college, I can get a skill and then I can work and then I can keep working in my education. Cool. That's what I did. I loved it. And then um, I wanted to be a really good massage therapist. So whereas I say like actors will move to LA, musicians will move to New York, where do body workers move? Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So I was 21, moved to Boulder, Colorado. And I just wanted to play, right? I wanted to be in those mountains yoga, skiing, hiking, the whole nine. And I also wanted to get um, in-state residency so that I could get in-state tuition at CU Boulder. Cool. So I got accepted, I deferred, um, and I started my massage practice. And at the same time, I got really interested in women's health. And I decided I'm going to be a midwife. 21 years old, <laughs> I'm going to be a midwife. Yeah. Like, midwives are badass. And one of my friends was like, well, if you want to be a midwife, maybe you should be a doula first to see if yeah. you like this whole birth thing. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'll be a doula. And I did the, the training and I started doing births when I was like 23. Wow. What's yeah. that like as a 23 year old woman to. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 But I had the massage skills. So I focused a lot on like comfort yeah. touch and things like that. But I had so much to learn just as like a human. Yeah. Um, it was really honor. Like I am so grateful for my early clients who invited me in. And that time was like 2005 and people didn't really know what a doula was. They're like, doula. Well, 
yeah well let's let's take the moment to say because i'm i'm you know i could make an assumption that uh everyone listening does know but um give us the the simplest description yeah, yeah. so a doula is a non-medical support for families during the time of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Mm -hmm. And we provide educational, informational, and physical support. So there's birth doulas who are there during the actual labor and delivery. And then there's postpartum doulas that come in within the first three, four months after the baby's born and help parents um, settle in as a yeah. new family. So I was doing births. I was doing births. And, um, and it was great. And I decided to be a midwife, like I said. So I went, I had to get my bachelor's. I went back to school. Um, but this time I was cash flowing it through mm. massage work. Wow. How did you get so practical? And how as a, as such a young person, like I would, it would have done me very well to have one hundredth of the practicality that it, that it sounds like you had. Um, one, no one second, this is a total non sequitur. I shouldn't even say this, but I want to say it before I forget it. I had a recurring dream when I was a tiny child of being overwhelmingly in debt, like overwhelmingly in debt. Like I would wake up completely terrified because I owed something money. So really wild. And I don't, I, I can tie that into the conversation a little bit being like my early adult years were as far from practical as you could ever have imagined. Not, not that I, I didn't have money to spend. It's not like I spent a lot of it, but, but I didn't even think of it. So you did. And I think that's awesome. And I wish that I would have known you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did. And I tried my best. My goal was to graduate college without any debt and get a degree, yeah. which I was moderately successful at. Okay. I, I did graduate with a uh, 10,000 in student loans. Um, and then I did graduate with some credit card debt. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't scot-free. Yeah. You weren't scot-free. Did you become a midwife? Were you a midwife? I did not become a midwife. Okay. So after graduating college, I wanted to move back to the East Coast where my family is. I moved to Brooklyn, New York. This is 13 years ago. Oh. And I met my, my now husband and I was applying for grad school to be a midwife. And... Um, we were getting married and I had this moment where I could choose to go to grad school. But then again, this like money thing came up. Mm. I like, do I want to go 80, a hundred thousand dollars into debt right now? Yeah. Or do I want to start having kids? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And it was an easy, I mean, I, I, what made the choice? I'm curious. Just what was the thing that made the choice for you? Yeah, I had also just started Baby Caravan, which is the doula collective yeah. that I've had for yeah. 10 years. And so I chose doubling down on the business yeah. and starting a family. Cool. Amazing. No regrets. Yeah. I think midwives are amazing and I bow down to all of them. They're incredible. Yeah. And so, and Baby Caravan is your first business, which is a collective, it's it's a matching service for doulas in New York City. Is that right? Is, That's is that right. what it is? Yeah. yeah. So we, cool match doulas and parents. And we have about 60 doulas on our team right now that we help facilitate connections with. Are you kind of like the, 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 the top queen dog of doula care in New York city? There's a few organizations. Um, I mean, nope, nope. the answer is yes, Jen, <laughs> just say yes, <laughs> just, just own it. <laughs> um, cool. So, all right. So you started, and again, I'm just kind of like, piecing the narrative 
with some points in it, right? So you became your own business owner um, at, I don't know, 10 years ago. Is that what you said? 13, how long? 20 years ago. 20 years ago. You've had that business. Oh, oh, I suppose. Right. Yeah. So you started as a, as an independent business Yeah, I've owner, never right? had a job, Dan. Oh my I'm God. Like, that's Dan, amazing. Go interview for a job. I'd be like, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's good background information. Yeah. Amazing. And baby caravan. I'm, I'm, I know you just said it, but when did it start? Uh, 2013. 2013. Okay. That's 10 years. All right. Um, all right. Then take us. All right. You start this business. I don't know if it's similar to you, but I started my first business and I'm not saying you're first, but my first business, I started literally the same time that I had my first child, mm-hmm. which was a uh, kind of a, intense thing to do. Like, you know, I, I was not entrepreneurial necessarily. I didn't know I was, I didn't have the chops. Um, so yeah, I guess, let me back up and just share a little of my POV as we sort of side by side, share our stories up to here oh. is I, uh, I mean, you've been a, a, a wonderful um, touch point and support and support and sort of educator to me. I've just, everybody knows I've done some work with Jen um, in my own, for my own life, my own finances. And if I could go back and implant or have a talking to with my younger self, it is very, very clear. Actually, I would, I would hire you to get in a time capsule or a time machine and go sit, literally sit down like 27 year old Dan Doty and, and just, you know, get it in his thick skull. Um, some of the basics of, of, you know, financial literacy and education and, and just smart things, because what I did was, um, not think about it. And, and as a, as a young man had some pretty good income and did nothing smart with it other than travel around the world and do things I wanted to do. And then I quickly found myself, um, getting married and having kids and, really having a lot of catch up, catch up, not catch up like for a hot dog, but catching up to do. Um, and I would just say, you know, starting a business in that place, I, I really did. Uh, I put, I put us through a lot more stress than I would ever hope for, you know, any dad or parent or family to go, you know, and we're okay. It's not like anything, but I wanted to just put that out for the audience just as like, my perspective, I think it's pretty clear where I'm coming from. But what was it like for you? Like, what was the business, family, money, I don't know, thing you had going on? Interrupting this conversation just for 30 seconds to tell you about intentional fathering. Intentional fathering is a course that I have created for you. It is an audio course delivered like a podcast is delivered to you, a private podcast. You just do the simple thing, you swipe your card or put in your numbers or whatever, and then you get a link and a podcast magically shows up in your feed that nobody else can see. It is a combination of guided meditation and somatic protocol, along with contemplation questions, challenges, and stories that offer a perspective for possibly a new way to be a dad. A new way that is not about how I father or how other people are telling you to father, but a way that is helpful for you to know who the hell you are and to show up and trust who that is as a father, which I believe is one of the core most important things that we can do as dads. Check it out. Intentional fathering at dandoty.com. Yeah, it was very similar in that um, 
having my first kid really shook things into perspective of uh, what I needed to be focusing on. And I'd been working on my finances my whole life, like like the story I just shared, but like I did end up with some debt. I had like a car payment. Um, I was working really hard to pay off the credit card debt and the school loans that I had like a really blowout year in my business. And then I owed more taxes that I hadn't planned for. So I've had all these experiences throughout my life that have really cr like created the work that I'm doing at Fully Funded because like I've been there and it's not fun and people can get through it. And just because there might've been like a financial mistake at one point doesn't mean that has to have like a lasting impact on the rest of your life. So when I had my first, I was a doula. I was retiring as a massage therapist after 13 mm. years. Mm -hmm. I was 31. I was also just starting baby caravan, but it didn't have enough legs under it to like give me an income. Got it. It was like in startup mode. And um, and it was 2014. Now New York has paid family leave that self-employed people can opt in to, but at that time they didn't. So I I knew I had to save. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize just how much I had to save. And I also had very unrealistic expectations on myself of what I would be able to handle both work-wise and being a mom-wise. Yeah. And that yeah. was a kick in the pants. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure the people who listen to this regularly are sick of me saying this, but I cannot believe how poor of a general job we do in in educating ourselves and educating each other on on the realities of 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 what you know becoming a parent actually does right and and i think I, we cover a lot of topics on this show but um it is such a massive shift right like it is such a shift in responsibility and um I also I also wonder and I do think that sort of this moment in time historically and societally and and you know how we make money and and how we go about our our financial lives is so different than how my parents did right mm -hmm. and so yeah. I I mean th there also just might be a sense that I have which is like well I don't know if there was anybody to educate us cuz it's different now you know I I'm not sure what do you think about that what yeah what's your sense of that I mean, there's, we can look at recent research studies that show just the difference between the average wage when our parents were our ages and the mm -hmm. average cost of a home versus now, ten, it's like 10 times as much um, between like the cost of a home in relation to the average wages. So mm -hmm. I think this gener, and we also are the generation of student loan debt. So, um, so people who are becoming parents in their thirties and forties, there's, I mean, everyone's story is different, right? We we don't, not everyone has student loan debt and not everyone has, um, is like looking down like a really tough uh, real estate market. But I think a lot of people are. I think a lot yeah. of millennials and like younger Gen Xers are like, am I ever going to be a homeowner? Do I need to be a homeowner? Um, so yes, to answer your question, I think things are very different now than when our parents were having kids. Yeah, and, and not to go like dark here, but just to, I just read an article last night, I think in the Atlantic about um, like the actual start more stark reality of, of where not only financial markers, but ju just in general, like um, we're in a 
time right now where Americans are getting shorter by average. And that's, you know, in a long-term study, that's a, a really clear marker of overall health and wellness and, and like, height? like height, like height. Yeah. Like meaningfully. And, you know, other countries in the world are, are not going through that kind of contraction. Right. So, so like just our general health of finance of, of things it's, it really is. And it, it, things aren't, we're not in an easy time. We're not in, we're not in like a, a push the throttle time. And I think that that's really hard to wrap our heads. It is for me. It's hard to wrap my head around because life growing up in the eighties and nineties, like we weren't rich, we were middle-class, lower middle-class for a chunk of it. Um, but I didn't, it, it didn't feel, um, uh, like the rug was going to be pulled out. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the rug kind of has been pulled out. Right. So we, we, I, we purchased a home two years ago. Actually, that's really interesting. Yesterday, two years ago, yesterday, we would have, yeah, moved into this home here. And it felt like, I'm just going to be fair, a frank, a fucking miracle to pull it off. Right. It was just like a, a needle in a haystack and how we pulled the savings. together. It was just a fucking miracle. Um, so yeah, anyway, to, I, I, things it's a, it's a, it is a wild time. I also wonder too, that, you know, if we're having kids later in life, right. And I, we, I had kids when I was 34, I think it was when Duke came 35 maybe. And I just think my adolescence was extended, right? Like I, I had like years of just like making money and spending it on myself and, um, you know, it's only my fault to not have started better practices early, but it, I don't know, but I kind of feel like, oh, wait, I'm 35. I am an adult. Why am I not acting like one? And I just, you know, had to catch up. So. And I think having a kid is like the perfect interception point for that of like, <laughs> oh shit, it's not just me anymore. Like this tiny human yeah. is upon me to have my shit together. <laughs> yeah. And that was so, a big kick in the pants for, for me and my husband. Yeah. Did you, well, yeah, did you, and I'm curious. So my story is that it took a lot longer to get things together than I wish Then I would, I'd be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. It took, it took us longer to, to really get things collected or organized in, in a really sustainable way. Um, but how about for you? How did you, did things shift after baby number one pretty quickly or? Baby number one, um, I returned to working like three weeks after he was born. Yeah. And that was really hard. And but baby number two, I knew I didn't want to repeat that. So with Stella, I had an aggressive savings plan my whole pregnancy. And every week in my pregnancy, I worked on my business so that I could take a four-month maternity leave. And I saved. I had a number that I had to meet each week. And I kept really close track on the money. I, I would, I got really frugal with grocery shopping. Mm. I um, would shop out of the, the pantry some weeks, just like eating the yeah. food we had on hand instead of buying new food, you know, not buying new clothes, getting hand-me-downs for my kiddo, my older kid. And um, it paid off because <laughs> that was like the best four months of my life. And I have no regrets. Um, and it also showed me like when I really focus what can be possible. 
I just want to quick give you a shout out. So you you have come in and spoke to two cohorts of my fatherhood ready program now. So one of the dudes in the first program from last year, Jen, um, they are he and his partner are, I think, maybe six weeks out from baby or two months out from baby. And they used your planning uh, document oh, to great. put put together savings for an actual leave. And and uh, I just talked to him just a few days ago. And so extending his gratitude for you to, to put that, you know, kind of clear set out. For oh, him. High five to him. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, you know, if you have like a plan, it can make things that don't seem possible more possible, or you're like focusing that attention, or if there's extra money that comes in, it already has a home, it already has a job. So um, that's what was my inspiration to start Fully Funded in 2021 was my experiences of having an, um, not having a leave versus having a leave and how finances could be a tool to accomplish a really meaningful part of my life. Um, I think that's one of the things that really inspires me around personal finance is I'm not one of those like finance people like growth for growth sake. Like it's like, what can we use money for as a tool for our communities, for our families, for ourselves to give ourselves as much like safety and stability that we have mm -hmm. that we can provide. Um, and I really like how money can positively impact the nervous system because I'm very familiar with how money can like negatively impact the nervous system. But one of the things I teach folks is like a basic financial foundation is having what I call an opportunity fund, but traditional financial educators will call an emergency fund. But mm. this is the idea of having three to six months of living expenses set aside in a separate account for when life gets lifey. Like these are the things that will come up. We just don't know when or how. Yeah. And I keep this separate even from long-term savings. This is just, I call it like the nervous system buffer. This mm. is the money that can let your nervous system know that if something comes up or when something comes up, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, the... I'm going to, we're going to follow that, but backing up just for a second, just, just to like describe, what have you seen in people sort of, I don't know, like turn around, right? So, so like in terms of it being uh, uncomfortable, stressful, that, and I, I guess even just to say on the very basic, and of course, not assuming everybody who listens is in a harder place with money or their management of money, but I think it's worth saying yeah, like describe that process or that arc to go from disorganized or stressful to a place of, of a nervous system buffer. I love that. Yeah. So, so I find that um, like it, it can be folks from all different backgrounds, right? They could be um, have even like come from means or come from money or maybe had a very scrappy childhood or things were tight. And a lot of it comes down to we don't, we generally don't learn about personal finance in school. Mm -hmm. um, if we're not taught by our family of origin or our peers or ourselves, there's just going to be a lot of gaps there. And that's something that I really like to talk about because people can feel a lot of shame around 
not knowing things or feel really scared about doing the wrong thing. And especially for people in their thirties and forties, like it's a lot of us who just didn't grow up with that literacy. Like when we were growing up, the internet is not what it is now. We couldn't just type in like, how do I start retirement? You'd have to like go to a library and dust off a book and like try to make sense of like old information. So, um, so generally what I see is that people want to feel more comfortable. They want to feel more powered about their finances, but they don't really know how to get there. And even just putting in some building blocks or some structure Mm -hmm. can give them a lot of relief. Um, I'm, I'm especially a fan of, um, changing some mindset if people have a current situation where all the money that's coming in is currently going out, which I I see all the time is very common. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you can live on this amount of money, could we either increase your income and keep you living on this amount of money so that you have five to 25% that you're just automatically saving? Or can we do both? Like, can we decrease a little bit of spending, put some parameters around that and increase some income so that maybe it's 75 is supporting lifestyle and 25% is going into moderate savings and like investments for the future, however that might look like. Yeah, we did. So in my, um, you know, in my day job, advising companies and and consulting the past year has been, there's been a lot of retrenchment. There's been a lot of tightening the belts and uh, you know, just sort of taking the cue from that. Uh, We, Elise and I just did a a pretty substantial belt tightening round and it's actually, I mean, it feels amazing, right? I think that's, it's one of those things that at first it feels a little uncomfortable and hopeless and scary and weird, but then um, going through it, it's, I don't know. It just has a really uh, energizing quality to do it. Yeah, and I can share. I had a I had a client last week share uh, share a voice note with me, and she didn't have a budget and felt um, like she didn't want a budget because she didn't want to feel restricted, mm-hmm. and she was feeling really nervous about the idea of putting together a spending plan. And I don't do like traditional budgets, but we put together a spending plan for her which included earmarking money for she's self-employed for her taxes, earmarking money to pay down some debt she has and earmarking money for her opportunity fund. Yeah. And she sent me a message. She goes, I thought it would feel so restrictive, but having a place for my money to go feels so like safe. I feel like it has purpose and that's energizing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay. So here's a, where I would like to go here is, you know, talking to, to, first of all, have you seen any, I don't do work most with women or men or, or, or non, you know, binary, or just, I'm just curious if there's anything about dads specifically that has stuck out to you about this process of family finance and, and planning. Yeah. So I work with everyone. I work with people who are single men, women, non-binary folk. I work with couples with and without kids. Um, But I really love, I mean, because I was a doula for so long and I'm really comfortable in the unique time of that is pregnancy and new parenthood and the unique stressors that come up. 
Um, I'm always thrilled to support parents as they're either preparing to welcome a baby or like thinking about starting a family or like adding additional children to their family. Um, so there's a lot of specifics that come up for dads, for sure. And um, as you know, when you have a kid, everything changes, but there's no way to know that, I think, in advance as much as like, yeah, you yeah. want to. Yeah. Um, but do you want me to go through some like frequently asked questions? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I've got three frequently asked questions that come up when people are planning for a baby. And one is like, what programs or what different accounts can I use that would be like financially advantageous? Mm -hmm. So I've got a couple to share. Uh, two accounts are either an FSA, which is a flex spending account or an HSA, which is a health savings account. Okay. So the flex spending account will only be available to people who have an employer. So if anyone who's listening has an employer and you're thinking about having a kid or already have children, see if you can put money into your flex spending account for medical expenses. And then there's also something called a dependent flex spending account, which you can put money in for childcare. Hmm. And the benefit of these accounts is that it is pre-tax dollars. So it's untaxed income, which goes about 30% further than if it had been taxed. For childcare. I had yeah, not, I didn't know about that. Wow. Yeah. So it's limit. It's like, I forget what the limit is because I don't have access to one. Um, I think it's like 4,500 a year or something. So it's not going to cover okay. full tuition of daycare for the year, but any little bit helps. So It'll cover a week. It'll cover about a week, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> God. I just finished paying eight years of private child care. You done? You finished it? Yeah. yeah. My daughter's in pre-K now. Well, but that just to note that, but that's like one example of what people don't really know how to usually calculate until until all of a sudden you're dropping your kid off at child care or school. And then you you're, you know, just basically reeling by dealing with it in the bill come, you know, it's just like, oh my God, like it is expensive. It is insanely expensive to have a family. Yeah. And I I uh childcare is one of the best investments I've ever spent. <laughs> yeah. Out, out. Oh my God, yes. I mean, we could um, have a whole podcast episode about that, right? I mean, same here. And it's it's really interesting. We've we've generally defaulted to to you know, spending the money on childcare to 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 free up time to earn and 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 be help and be okay, you know, and all that. But it's also, um, it's tricky. It's it's super tricky. I think I think we've we've tended to be a little bit more liberal with that when maybe we shouldn't always have have done that, you know. Oh, I I love childcare. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's the flex spending account. People with employers, check that out. And then we have health savings accounts, which are only available to people who have a high deductible health insurance plan. Okay. So these are folks that have health insurance with like a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollar deductible. And this is the federal government's way of trying to like throw a bone to people who are paying these high deductibles. Yep. So HSAs, they think, are one of like one of the most underrated financial vehicles. Because you can put in money each year that never gets taxed. So you don't get taxed the year you earn that money and you put it in and you get don't get taxed when you like use it to pay for things. Yeah. So especially for self-employed people who are working on their tax planning, that's like a really good chunk to help reduce taxable income. 
and you don't have to use it every year. So FSAs, you use it or lose it every year. HSAs can be invested and can accumulate. So oh, wow. it can be another like investment bucket, but it's really helpful in the time of like pregnancy. Mm. But then any co-pays or doctor's visits or things that might need to be covered could be paid with that pre-tax money. But then there's, you could also hire people like doulas, or if you're getting like massage or acupuncture, there's ways cool. to use these funds as well. Okay, cool. The, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, we had a pretty high deductible plan for a while there. And, but I think as far as we could tell, it was on the edge or we weren't able to, d- to do the HSA with it, but okay. I, I kind of wish we had. Okay. So that's two. You said it, you, was there one, did you say you had three? So that was one. The second one is a lot of people have questions around how much their medical costs will be. Mm-hmm. Like how much is a birth going to cost? Like what is the stay in the hospital? And prior to 2021, we really had no idea. Like you couldn't just call a hospital and be like, how much does this cost? Got it. Um, but in 2021, a federal law was passed making it so that hospitals had to make their pricing publicly accessible. Hmm. And there is a, a startup called Turquoise Health where you can go to their website, type in your zip code and type in the procedure that you want to see how much it is. So you could put like okay. vaginal delivery and it would show you the cash price at all the different hospitals. So I did it for my neighborhood here in New York. Wow. The private hospitals, cash price, vaginal delivery, $35,000. No shit. public hospitals, $7,800. Wow. And one public hospital was $2,800. $2,800. Jeez. Yeah. I'm so illiterate. I don't even know which ones are public and private. Uh, Honestly, like, is that, is that, is that easy to know or to note? Um, I think it's more common in like metropolitan areas like New York. Okay. Um, so New York has like a larger public health system that's funded by the city. Um, but like, uh, healthcare is so privatized these days that depending on where you live, you might not have a public hospital. Yeah. That's crazy because we've lived, we've hired, you know, we've done home births uh, or attempted home births in three States and the, the full midwife package fee is substantially cheaper than any of those numbers. Well, not the 2,800, I guess that's, that's really low, but yeah. Yeah, wow, that's I mean that what a reason is around like ten thousand. Yeah, ten thousand. Okay. What a resource though. I mean, that's and you said that was um so a federal law put that like made that so now we now we they have to have transparency in terms of how much things cost medically. Is that yep. what it is? Yep, exactly. And on turquoise health, people can put in their insurance information and like their copays and stuff, and then okay. you'd get like an estimate of after your insurance, what would it cost? Really? Holy cow. Why, that isn't that crazy how surprising that is? Isn't it crazy how like that, that, that's revelate that's revelatory and uh and uh probably should have been there always, huh? Always. <laughs> always. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's two. And number three is uh the financial foundation piece. So as people yeah. can gather from our conversation, no one would be sad if they like had extra cash on hand when having a baby. So the first, like people are like, what should I do to get my finances ready to have a baby? And my first thing is 
do you have three to six months of living expenses set aside? If not, yeah. start with one month. It can take people one to two years to get that amount set aside, which is fine. Yeah. But work on it. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes people are like, well, I've got debt. Should I focus on paying off debt first? And I'm like, get that one month first. Okay. And then do both. You're going to work on paying off debt and continuing to build your savings. Okay. That's a recommendation. Have one, one month of the, of the opportunity fund, but, and then, and then share the, share the load a little bit. Yeah. Because what happens is people get in the debt cycle. So they pay off debt and something unexpected happens and then they add more debt. Yeah. So we have to break the cycle and that has, you have to have cash on hand to break that cycle. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So those are some of like the getting into the family, having the kids, I'm curious, like, what are the, when you just the basics of looking into this unknown future as a family to be strong and healthy and stable? I mean, I'm curious, what do you personally, or what do you, what do you sort of have people like, what's the big point in, in your world in terms of, of all this? Like, what's the, what's the end goal, Jen? Yeah. So the end goal for me is, I mean, personally, it's that like stability piece and that agility piece. And I'm trying to free up. I mean, this has been my whole life goal is that time freedom. Yeah. And one way to free up time freedom is passive income. And I find the simplest passive income is pass, like passive investing in index right. funds. A lot of people will do like real estate or business and I'm doing a business. Um, but like my end goal is freeing up my time later Um, but I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket. Like I'm not doing like high stakes fire, like the financial dependent early because we got to balance like the now, because that's all we have. We only have the now with how can I set myself up for later? How far in the future are you looking when you're talking about later? I mean, are you, are are you talking about grown kids and, you know, being, like, do you think about retirement? I'm, I'm guessing yes, but yeah, you... I'm, I'm looking at my sixties, yeah. my eighties, yeah. and it's not just finance. It's like health. So yeah. I'm going to the gym and I'm, I'm working on my 80 year old body. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, that, that's like the, the, the idea of longevity has been really sticky in terms of working with dads. Right. But it's, you know, in both ways, like you're saying, our physical health, our nutrition, our financial health. It's, I'm curious, because I know you help people with this all the time. How do you get people to actually take action toward those really long-term goals? I mean, for me, having kids and starting to, I don't know, like it's taking me to just somehow slowly mature, you know, to do those kind of things. But I'm curious, how do you get people out of like the the short-term mindset or what do you think about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think I have any like magic bullets there. Yeah. Um, everyone's on their own journey and people need their own like inspiration and, and wise, but I can share yeah. some of like the inspiration and wise for me is yeah. looking ahead at my parents. Right. And like, how have they set themselves up or not set themselves up for the future? And when I'm in that position, how do I want to be feeling? And then also to like bring it back to some of the advocacy work that I do, 
when you look um, at women's, um, I know this is a podcast about dads, but I'll speak about women for a mm-hmm, second. No, please. Yeah. Women on average live longer than men and women tend to live in poverty in their elder years. And there's a very specific reason for this. And that's because it's typically women who do the unpaid caretaking during Mm. the life cycle. Mm. And And when women are home taking care of kids or elderly parents, they're not participating in the like wage earning economy. And if you're not participating in the wage earning economy, you don't get credit for social security. So no then, shit. Whoa. Yeah. You just yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So then you have women. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. Thank you, Dan. It's really fucked up. Yeah. yeah. So I get a little like, yeah. Um, there's systems that need to be changed, but what can I do on a personal level? Well, hopefully change is being made in the next 50 years <laughs> wow um all right so yeah so that that kind of brings me like i think t- to just a, a short and sort of punchy overview so here here's advise me live okay so i have three children right seven and four and one um oh. I, I have parents who are pretty are set up fairly well for for their aging years which is such a gift and um and so uh like like you know like we've talked about is is a, a immature financial past which is sort of tightening the dial at about this stage of life to change things um you know owning my own business doing doing substantial there doing doing well um but i'm i am and so i feel like on you know some of the actual short term things like the accounts and the like we're we're making the actions but like i i my wife right now is not working right so she's not participating in age morning and i want my children not to have like a a boatload of cash floated their way but I, but i want them to have a i like stable healthy um human life as much as possible and my wife and and all of the things and so I have I have a hard time with the complex. It feels so complex to me, right? To know all of the things. Like I I know, I know I need to be you know continuing to add to my you know tax advantage accounts and just the general things. But I don't know, like how give give me just a, a basic rundown. And I may know some of this, I may not. But how would you know any parent sitting in this moment um, just really think of the long term? Yeah. Oh, I love this question so much because I think it's really hard to look at the long term, especially we're in like the day to day of tiny humans and their tiny human needs. Yeah. Um, but when we think of as parents, like a lot of parents, you know, or most parents just want the best for their kids in the future. And so they'll be like, what can I do to get my kids set up like for college and stuff? And so my first question is like, well, what are you doing to get your yourself set up? Like, what do you have in place for your own retirement? And that can be the biggest gift you give to your kids. Just like mm-hmm. you said, your parents are set up. Like that's such a, a relief and gift for you. And yeah. then it's like, how can I get myself set up so that my kids don't have to worry about me in, when I'm older? And then start to think about kids' education because- Kids, I, you know, as much as I hate student loan debt, like 
I won't get on that tangent. Kids can take out loans for education. Parents can't take out loans for retirement. Right. Yeah. So um, the other cool thing about planning for the long term is that the sooner you start, the less money it takes. Yeah. You can you can set up a system that is basically set it and forget it. Yeah. Maybe check on it once a year. But when you're investing for the long term, and I'm referring to tax advantage retirement accounts, investment accounts, we have so much more at our disposal now because of technology and the internet that um, like the sooner you set it up, the less money you have to contribute over the length of your lifetime. Um, so automating as much for putting away towards the future I think is one of the biggest keys after getting the opportunity fund and paying down high interest debt. So like I, I'm going to share my story in my newsletter next week about, yeah. or this week, um, I paid off $81,000 worth of debt over eight years. Wow. Cool. <laughs> Which is like, where did all that debt come from? Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's that unique. Um, so another part of it is like, how can you take your power back from interest? So especially like credit card interest, 20%, 25%, 30%, um, even car loans, um, 12%, 10%. It's like, how how can you take your power back from that interest um, and put it back in your pocket? Um, that's another piece too. Yeah. So opportunity fund, break the cycle of high interest debt and automate the long-term. Automate the long term. And if you're employed and you have access to like a 401k, like that's great because your employer has it set up for you. But for my self-employed people out there, like we need to be our own best bosses (laughs) and no one's going to set it up for us. So we have to set it up for ourselves. And um, it can be, it can be challenging. It's a unique challenge when you have inconsistent income. Um, So like I've got lots of strategies that people can implement but it's really just finding what works for you your brain and your cash flow yeah you know what just came into my head is this thought that i have like uh an incompetent level of like 1990s knowledge about money and it's 2023 i'm just and i'm just curious about your thoughts on that are things different in some substantial way. I mean, I know the prices, you know, and the, the housing market and all that, but I just mean the basics. Like, has this stuff held together? I'm just curious, so where else might I have really outdated thinking going on? Is that, does that question even make sense? Well, I love this question, Dan, and I'm going to rate it down because I'm going to do like a whole post on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my in-laws are here right now and they're like one of my biggest inspirations for financial literacy. Um, they've taught me so much. And I was 35 and my mother-in-law sat me down and sat next to me and opened up a Vanguard account for me or like with wow. me. Yeah. And if she hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had retirement opened. Yeah. So like when I'm talking about all these things, it's really coming from a place of like, I have totally been there. I've... Yeah. yeah. Um, so things that are different, the credit scores. Credit scores didn't mm-hmm. exist until like 1989. Okay. Yeah. And now I feel like credit scores kind of rule people's lives, right? Like people are worried about 
my credit went down, my credit went up. And it's like this whole like game we play. When our parents were buying houses, there's no credit scores. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, That's different. Our access to investments is different. In the 90s, you couldn't just go online and like open up a brokerage account. Right. Now it's at our fingertips. Um, But I also think like I love the internet and I love like technology, but we live in such a rapid pace society now that our attention is just demanded upon us. Mm-hmm. I think that we have different expenses to have a quote unquote standard normal American life now than we would in the nineties. It sure seems like it. It seems it? like that, right? I mean, I think there must be data to represent that because it just, well, I mean, and I've read it in, you know, all the articles about millennials and, you know, our lack of savings and we don't own houses and all this stuff. So, I, I mean, you know, and then there was the, the, the recession in 2008, you know, I mean, it has been harder for our generation. This has been documented. Right. Um, and I just, I mean, it is what it is on one, on one hand, but you know, part of my overall thesis with this show, Jen, and with the fatherhood unlock stuff is that I really do think that there's a um, like a completely historic shift happening in fatherhood in parenting right now with with men really joining forces at, at least many at least there's an opportunity where where the role of dads has really shifted in the course of one generation right and I actually wish I would have started the podcast with this question here or this comment which is it's also you know part of what I see is like now men are are much more engaged and probably not where we need to be or wanted to be, but are much more engaged in the home and yet still have this, this sort of older school, um, you know, be the breadwinner thing. And, you know, obviously that's dissolving in practice or it's changing and it's so in flux, but there still is this like legacy that's Mm. being held there. And so I just, it's so, it's, really intense to me to to note how much change is happening, you know, both in the family and in the world. And then I just, the the question I'm driving here toward is, to me, the future looks very uncertain, right? With AI and technology and just all of the things, it's just like, where are we going? Where is this all going? And I'm guessing that doesn't change your answer in terms of practical savings and being smart about money. But I just wonder, right? I wonder what personal finance, what's this going to be in 10 years? And, and I'm okay. guessing we just do the things, right? But I love that you brought this up because I feel like this is a conversation I can have with just like anybody. But this is something I literally think about every day. Me too. This is what's on. My, I wish I would have started with this, Jen, because because this is this is like what's, I can't, I am sleeping. I'm not saying I'm not sleeping because of this, but this is to me, I can't stop thinking about this. Yeah. So, so Corey, my operations manager and I, we make content together and we always come across this, this theme that I'll just say millennials. So people in their early forties down to like their late twenties have, um, around, like there was like this block around saving for retirement so much so that I don't even refer to it as retirement. I refer to it as a work optional future, meaning like Mm. you can work if you want. But if you want to like not work, you've set the option in place for yourself. But there's, I feel like there's such a block against thinking in the future because we do have this like collective existential dread of what 
the F is the world going to look like? Because we're the generation that grew up learning about all the catastrophes that are like plaguing human civilization. So my take, and we've had some conversations around this before too, is what kind of capital can we cultivate for ourselves and our communities that will be of assistance in an uncertain future? So for me, those take-homes are like, I want cash because I want agility. If I need, this is going to get a little dark, but like I live in New York City. Yeah. Like oceans are really rising. Like, I don't know. Are they they not? I don't know. Yeah. If they do, like I want to be able to move. Yeah. No, totally. (laughs) And then um, the other one is um, social capital. So like we're not meant to be isolated. So community and cultivating community and cultivating, working together collaboratively. It's not like a financial capital, but that's also a very important capital for my own ethos. And we've well, been talking, like you were talking about like some um, like homestead capital, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm. it's actually really, I'm glad we touched on this at the end here. And, you know, maybe this can just be a, a note for, to sort of, gets people's brains moving and thinking, because I do think this is, you know, maybe sometime in the future, we can, we can start here on a podcast. And I apologize. I was a little bit wandering. It took me to get on track a while to get on track today, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap that up there. But yes, my constant thought here is, is some, some, not, not like intensive prepper stuff of like, we need to have, you know, all the goats and everything, but, <laughs> but it is, it is, it does feel especially uncertain. I don't know how, I don't know how to not feel that, that yeah. uncertainty. And it definitely is, is changing how I think about, it's making it harder for me to just put all my money in a tax advantage, you know, federal account and just be like, okay, well, that's, that's, what's going to take care of us. Right. And I still don't want to miss out on that yeah. too. Right. So it's like, I think that's where the financial plan comes in to place yeah. is that like, that's an aspect, right? That's a spoke yeah. in the wheel. And then um, like my prepper stuff isn't like cashing uh, goods and canned goods and like having yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. my prepperness is like having that agility and having that community support. Yeah. But like, yeah. Also, where, where am I going to store all my prepper stuff? I've got like a <laughs> two yeah. bedroom. Yeah. All right. Well, we hit a vein at the end there. Let's, yeah. um, we're up here. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, thanks for sticking with my sort of wandering mind at the beginning. But um, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll pick this up sometime. I'm so grateful for your support in my programs. And um, thanks for all the help that you My bring. pleasure. Thanks so much for your work. And thanks for having me here today. And I look forward to continuing this conversation because- I think it's a lot of things, a lot that I think a lot of people feel it. Yeah, totally. All right, Jen. Thank you. Dan. Bye. Thank you, lovely people who are here, who are listening, who are taking this in. Please leave us review at Spotify at Apple. Can you leave reviews at Spotify? I don't even know. Please leave us a review if that's a thing anymore. And please share this with anyone that you may, uh, that may enjoy it. And thank you for being here. Uh, We have some really exciting shows coming up and uh, take care.